Direct from Montreal, Canada, this is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. And joining me on the phone, it is a beloved British pop icon, Peter Noon. Best known for being the voice for Herman's Hermits. Pete currently, or still does, approximately 200 live shows a year. I mean, can you imagine... 50-year career, and you're still out there shaking your bonbon for 200 shows a year? Listen, I'm color me impressed, for the lack of a better word. And uh, I just want to say one thing about this interview. This is what I love about being independent. I get a chance every so often to take a left turn and do something that I find interesting and fascinating just because of who they are. I mean, I know uh, a lot of folks want to hear... You know, White Snake interviews and Def Leppard interviews and Poison and Warrant and all those sort of rock interviews. But what keeps me going, what keeps the show active, and what keeps me interested is the ability every so often to to go outside of the box and just get these figures that are sort of larger than life, whether it's Boy George or or you know Banana Rama or uh, Jim Kerr of Simple uh, Simple Minds. Those interviews, which are rare. I don't do them every week, but I do them once every so often. Those are the ones that energize me and keep the show going because if I just had to sort of do the same one over and over again. So I do appreciate that you that you stick with me and listen to these interviews because they are the ones that give me the juice to, to keep it going. Uh, anyway, not that, I, not that I'm quitting. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying that, but these are the ones that keep it interesting to every so often go, yeah, I spoke to the guy from Warrant. Yeah, I spoke to the guy from Firehouse. And yeah, I did. I did the girl from from Banana Rama. Anyway, uh, Pete, of course, uh, since uh, 2012, has hosted Something Good with Peter Noon on Sirius XM's 60s on 6 Channel. And and here's the important part. This is because, you know, every so often you need that little important part. He has guested on Britain's long-running soap opera, Coronation Street. Now, uh, if you've ever met my wife or if I've ever <laughs> spoken about my wife, she has watched Coronation Street since she was a wee little girl or or a teenager, whatever. But uh, she's been watching it for a long time. And to speak to somebody who's actually been on Coronation Street uh, is very exciting uh, for me, her, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, uh, let's get on to this. Here is, without further ado, the one... The only, the exceptionally affable, Peter Noon. We are speaking with a music icon, uh, Peter Noon, from uh, Herman Hermits and uh, Peter Noon, or featuring Peter Noon, uh, as we say in Montreal. Bonjour, Peter. How are you? Bonjour. Extrêmement bien. Merci. Very, very well. Good. So, boy, uh, there, there's so much to talk about. I mean, your your career stretches back to the 1960s, and here we are in 2019, moving into 2020 in a month. And you're still going strong. I was looking at your, your tour schedule, and you've essentially got 2020 booked all the way through at least till August. Uh, talk to me about what sort of keeps you going, and why not just sort of say, hey, I've done enough. I'm just going to stay home in, in Santa Barbara or whatever and enjoy the weather. Well, I still have 27 years left on my mortgage, so I'll be out for quite a while. That was a joke. Mate. No, I know, I know. Uh, no you know what it is is i loved it it's not really i started off as an enthusiast of music uh, and you know i bought records and i went to see live music and i went to see i knew lots of people who were in groups that, that played in their sisters 
attic and in the little local nightclubs. And one day I found myself in a band where I was actually a, a, not just an enthusiast, but an, a participant. And I got to be in a band and we started off doing like Shadows hits, you know, instrumental. And, and I was the lead guitarist. And one day some guy said, why don't you stop playing guitar and be a lead singer? So I stopped being the guitarist and I became the lead singer and we started, I started to do Bobby V, Buddy Holly, Everly Brothers, um, that, those sort of poppy sounding American songs. And that turned into Herman's Hermits, that metamorphosis. You know, we, we'd play at the cavern. We've started there as Pete Novak and the Heartbeats. And we played the cavern for a bit, the junior cavern. And then we sort of got, when we were 15, they let us play the, the old people's cavern, which was, you know, the nighttime cavern. And we would play the junior cavern at, in the afternoon. And then we'd play the evening cavern at night. And eventually we built a following. And people started to talk about us because every other group from Liverpool and Manchester was already signed. So we were the next most obvious band to sign. And luckily we found ourselves in uh, Mickey Most's office. And he was a bit of a, a Mickey most became my best. He was my best friend. He's the best man at my wedding. He was uh, my, my daughter's godfather. And we made some great records together. You know, he knew exactly what I was talking. About. I said, you know, that reverb on, uh, on like walk right back by the Everly brothers. And he'd go, yeah, yeah. And he would, he would know what I was talking about. We both had the same kind of musical taste might be called a little bit lightweight, not enough big Bill Brunsy in there, but that's just what we liked. You know, we liked Dion and the Four Seasons and, and and Bobby V and Buddy Holly and the Everly Brothers and Roy Orbison, all the kind of pop singers. Talk to me a little bit about that. In terms of, you know, the first album and the, and, and the Herman's music, a lot of it was written by outside songwriters. Was that something that was problematic for you to not be able to write your own songs? Because you have said in interviews since then that you are not a songwriter. Or was it sort of the best way to achieve success? Did, did, did Harvey Lisberg and, and, and Mr. Most have a great plan and just say, here are these great songs, let's put your voice on them and we're going to have magic? No, what, what really happened was that we recorded I'm Into Something Good, which was a big, and, and it was a number one record in England. So in those days, if you were lucky enough not to have to write your own songs, you would be sent the best songs that were available in the world. You know, here's a group recording songs from outside, unlike the Beatles, and we can send them all these songs. So, you know, we got a Ray Davis song and we got a Carole King song and we got a Barry Mann song every week. And we had the choice of, and, and between, I, I didn't say I wasn't a songwriter, but I would play my songs to Mickey Most and I'd get past the first four bars and he would say, next. I said, what do you mean next? I've not got to the, I've not got to the court. He said, it's boring. This and this one. And I go, oh, okay. And between you and me, it's, it, it's an easy admission that the Carol King song, which was the A side, is a hundred billion times better than the song that I'm connected to on the B side. Maybe more than a hundred billion. Is there such a thing? Is you know, I know it's the year of exaggerations, but uh, you know, a trillion times better. So you know, I I I did I didn't have an ego. I I didn't have an ego in the studio. I would go and do it again and again and again. Most of the takes were the second take, 
and um, and I didn't have an ego about my songwriting. You know, so it's, I, remember we were in the shadow of the Beatles, and Elvis Presley didn't write songs, and they said we got to write constantly, keep coming up with hit songs, and people aren't going to be sending them to us. Well, okay, you but, know what? I'm, I, let me ask you about yeah. that because I wasn't going to talk Beatles, but you were in this. <laughs> time where in america you had elvis that had all the radio play and you had the rolling stones and you had the who and the beatles and then led zeppelin came along and then black sabbath came along and how was how difficult was it for you to find your voice and to find your place on radio were, were you one of those pop bands that could just get there and the bbc would say hey let's play your stuff or was it like eh, man we've got the beatles well maybe next week how, how difficult was it to, to to find your place in that marketplace we had songs that we made records for the BBC. We didn't make any records for Montreal. Um, we made records to get on the BBC, and they were always with this in mind. It's the nine o'clock news. Pound reaches all-time new low. Unemployment rising. Harold Wilson, this will not affect the pound in your pocket. Here's Herman's Hermits. Woke up this morning feeling fine. Sunshine girl, I feel your eyes on me. Something is happening and it started. And Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. And one after the other, they, they got it because they knew that once upon a time, there was a space in the market for pure pop and pure pop entertainment. And, you know, we were in the charts with the sound of music. You know, it, 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 it was just the perfect time to be in a rock and roll band and, and experiment just with pop, pop, pop music. It was okay. So, so you mentioned Mrs. Brown. You've got a lovely daughter, and uh, and, and yeah. But you see, the, the, we weren't in competition with anybody else. You just named ten bands, maybe. The Beatles aren't like the Who. Herman's Hermits are not like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or the Who. And the Freddie. Nobody was like each other. We were all completely unique. The the only way you could be in the marketplace was to not be like the Beatles. They've already got a Beatles. Don't be like the Who. They've already got a Who. Don't be like the Stones. They've already got a Stones. We built our credibility at the cavern by playing songs that people wanted to hear us sing. And we didn't do any blues songs. We did pops. We, we would go to the cavern and do Mrs. Brown, who got a lovely daughter. And all the other musicians would, would think, and eh. we decided really early on, we don't care what musicians think. We want people to buy our records. We don't want to impress musicians. Like the Beatles suddenly got to this stage in their careers. Now let's impress all those other musicians who don't buy the records anyway. They get a free one at the label. You know, and that was, that was the end. Of, it was, went from paperback writer to, you know. To arguments. Hey Jude or whatever, yeah. Um... You know, we, 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 we were very lucky that we'd made a, a, an unconscious decision right at the beginning that we weren't like anybody else. Let's let's be totally unique. No, no other bands at the at the cavern were doing my boy lollipop. No, no other kids from my school would dare to sing my boy lollipop. Yeah, I can imagine. And and, and by the way, I'm still listening to some of your stuff. I mean, Huey uh, Lewis does a cover of "Mother in Law" that I've been listening to uh, quite a bit lately. <laughs> um, very good version. But but let me get back to to Miss Brown. You've got a lovely daughter. Because I wasn't going to ask you about this, but you mentioned it. Okay. And you look at songs like that where you, where you, you know, I'm thinking in 2019 going into 2020, if I were to come up with a song like that, people would start saying, oh, it's, it's, it's sexist. It's, it's, uh, have we gone too far in our judgment of, of music and pop music? And, 
Have you noticed that change over the 50 years where you could sort of say anything and do anything and now it's like, oh, well, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit in this person's ism and that ism. And it's, it's, it's like, really? Like, have, have we gone too far? Well, you have already by just even bringing it up because it's, it's yes. something that just we should all ignore what people think. You know, I mean, what is this a beauty contest? We make records and write songs about things that we think about, not things that we don't want people to think about. Of course, Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. It wouldn't be a hit now because people would say it was twee. But it's a fantastic love song which, which contains de- depth of thought. You know, he, he, she can keep all the things that I bought her. You know, it's not about that. So, you know, I mean, whatever, you know, so... Luckily, we didn't care what anybody thought. We only cared that it got on the radio and actually boys and girls from every country in the world went and bought those records. And you know what? I'm proud of them now. And I say, can you believe I'm still working? And I go on stage and I sing Mrs. Brown, you got a lovely daughter using my Stanislavski method. Uh, you know, because you, if you're a 72 year old guy singing that, that is definitely not going to happen. It'd be, it'd be Chester and the Hermits. So, so what we go, what I do is I become 17 and it's exhausting in a show. I'm a 17 year old boy and that makes all my songs work. I just go back into that 17 year old boy. I, was, I wasn't even 17. I was only 16 when I made it. But I say 17 because that's already a stretch. Yeah. Well, and, and, and yeah, I mean, sir, I meant I meant nothing by asking the question. I personally think we've gotten a little too uh, far with all our. Yeah, I agree. It, oh, it yeah. insults no, this but, person and insults well, that person. It's like, well, come on, gr- grow a pair. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you asked the question because it, it is so it's so inappropriate, people having an opinion about what you think. That that, that is, I, I just, I refuse to get in the conversation. You know, people ask yeah. me, you know, example, when you, when you vote in England, and I'm sure it's the same in, in Canada, you do it in private. You don't have the TV cameras and all your friends watching which box you put in. And now it's got to the point where people ask you which you... I said, don't you realize that this is a private event who I vote for? It's not your business. That's why they put you in a tent or in a booth or anything on your own, not with 15 people, so that you can make your own personal choice. And if your personal choice is to buy a Herman's Hermits record or a Rolling Stones record, I wish you'd buy both. Yes, I do too. And and by the way, choice goes both ways. You have the choice to buy it, and you also have the choice to not buy it. So, stop preventing people who want to enjoy it. I mean, anyway. But all right, let me let me get off of that. But you know that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, but that, that's kind of. Remember, there was there was censorship. Even Herman Summits was censored in the t- at the time. We had a, we had. Remember, the Stones had let's spend the night together, and uh, Ed Sullivan wouldn't play it. There's always been that sort of thought control. But you just work around it, you know. We we got, had a record banned by the BBC because it was called "You Won't Believe In," which meant you know you'll be spending spending the night, which is the same as let's spend the night together. I got a feeling you won't believe in tonight. Oh, we're not playing that. That's like, oh. but look how times have changed now. You know, I'm a fr- I'm a I got a feeling you two boys won't won't believe in tonight. It be that would be acceptable now. Yeah, it would be. It would be all right. So let, let me let me get on to some of the other stuff here because we we've got limited time. I right. was told. Um, you did some work on on Broadway and of course in England in the theater. 
Talk to me about making that transition. Was that an easy one where as a singer and a front man, it was easy just to get on stage and be a singer and, and, a, and a leading role? Or was it two sort of very completely different worlds and it sort of went, woke you up and you went, oh, okay now. Now i got to learn a new craft. Well, no, actually, I felt bad for the Hermits because we were a band and I had some experience as an actor before I was in Hermits Hermits. And while I was in Hermits Hermits, like I'd been in an acting class and I'd done a couple of TV series. And, you know, even though... And it was live television, so you had to have your chops, you know, because everybody around you was a genius. I was in Coronation Street, and all the people in the show, if you forgot your line, they would cover for you, you know. So I, so when I'm, when I finally get there, I have to know everybody else's stuff, and that's part of the, the thing. So what happened was we started to get, we'd do an English pantomime at Christmas, and I'd be Dick Whittington with my cat going to London. And the hermits would play sailors or something. And they didn't really have much to do. They just walked across the stage and pretended to be sailors. No dancing. And, and when, when we, we came to sang, sing, we sang hermits, hermits songs. I woke up, I'm in something good and wonderful world. And there's a kind of hush, you know, that kind of stuff. But, and then we got to do movies. And, and when the band broke, when we all, in 1971, we made a decision to take 10 years off from each other. Let's take 10 years off because this is not good. We were ended up as a cabaret act. We were dancing. I'd got the hermits at the, in the Royal Command performance doing dance steps. By the way, impeccable. They were, uh, it's astonishing when I see it how, because they were not dancers, but they learned to dance and we rehearsed for months to do it for the Queen. And um, we broke up and I decided that I wanted to be a Broadway star because during the heyday of Herman's films, like 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, 70, there was many offers for me to go and replace people on Broadway, none of which I could do because they only had five grand a week or something, and the band was making 25000 a night. So, you know, you can't do that. We can't pay our mortgages if you take a year off. So in 71, we all decided that we were all going to do something different and that we there'd always be a place for Herman's Hermits in you know, the fa- the following, whatever that might mean. If it was 100 people or 100,000, we did, we always called it the following. And um, what happened was that we that I thought, well, I'll, be on, I'll go and do Broadway now. And then I realized I didn't have any talent. I was only good at being Herman, the front man, the lead singer. So I had to go and take lessons. You know, I'd keep going for auditions and they say, can you dance? No. Can you tap dance? No. Can you sword fence? No. So... <laughs> I didn't realize that all these people who were on Broadway, they're not not stars who draw people. They're really talented people. So I went and did classes. I even did a ballet class. I did all the classes. And eventually I got good enough. After 10 years, I thought it would be 10 minutes, but it was 10 years. I got offered a gig. Joe Papp offered me to replace Andy Gibbles. I can't remember who it was on in a Broadway show. And I ended up in it for three years. I did the English West End. I did the New York. I did the American tour. And, you know, everything that I learned in that play, and then I did another one, Romance, Romance, which was only two characters in it, which was much more difficult and a lot more fun. And um, everything I learned is now in my live show, as it is with Paul McCartney. Everything he ever did in his life is now part of his live concert, and he wants you to see it. 
I, I will ask you this because I'm sorry. I just I just saw the clock and I know we're over 15 minutes. I hope hope you have no, a couple. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm enjoying it. I'm okay. enjoying it. Go ahead. Okay, good. Uh, I, I so let me just get off of that here because my my chain of chain of thought got broken. But uh, the 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 tremblers in the uh, early 90s or early 80s. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it didn't last very long, and and when I go and I listen to the music or or you know re- recall the music, it, it sort of had a new wave kind of. The knack, uh, the babies, that kind of vibe going to it. Uh, was that a question of just exploring new musical horizons? Was it trying to sort of reimagine who you are, and and why didn't it last longer than it did? What, what, the, the reason for doing what it was, I thought that I could pick up where Herman's Hermits had stopped, and I thought, where would we be? And we'd be writing songs, English kind of pop songs, you know, my dad said and uh, Wood and I and all that kind of English humor. And, you know, get a good drummer. Stan Lynch from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers recommended a drummer. And, uh, and Dee Murray was in, in uh, Elton John's band and he lived near me and he recommended a bass player. And I put together a band and we played for hours. We've just played over and over and over for hours. And I wrote all the songs and I thought this is maybe where Herman's Hermits would be. And we set off like the police. We got a van and we set off going doing $500 a night gigs all over America. All over America. Maybe, I don't know if we got to Canada, I can't remember, it's a long time ago. But um, we went all around, we drove ourselves in a van and it was fun and we, you know, in those days everybody smoked and we, we drove for thousands and thousands of miles. Somewhere along the road I bought a BMW and somebody would come in with me at the BMW and we'd get there faster and we'd get more sleep and all that stuff. But during that, that's when Joe Papp asked me to be in Pirates of Penzance. Um, we sat down, the Tremblers, we'd, we, we'd exhausted ourselves. We'd done like a year on the road in a van. And I said, Sh-, and I said, it's only six weeks. And everyone said, yeah, do it six weeks. Well, during my six weeks in San Francisco and Seattle, wherever it was, that little run, Joe asked me to sign for it for another six weeks and another six weeks. And then the next thing you know, he said, would you do the, would you do Broadway? I mean, who could say no to a Broadway show? So I went to Broadway for a year. And by now, the guys in the Tremblers, who were all really good, talented people, were all being dragged away to Tony OK and 2020 and, you know, every other band that was going around, that great buildings, all those people, all the Tremblers' seeds were being spread around other bands because <laughs> they were good guys, you know, they were good players. So they, they took other jobs. And then when it came time to talk about it again, it had scattered, it became scattered. You know, if you can't keep a band together, you can't have a band. You've got to keep everybody in the van with you and find out who who drinks too much, who smokes too much dope, who eats too many hard-boiled eggs and pickled onions before the van ride, you know. It's all part of being a band. Let me ask you this. In terms of new music, because you do go out and you play the hits, is there an importance for you to have new music going into 2020, 2021, or is it just okay to go out there and say, hey, these are the songs you want to hear, so these are the songs I'm going to give you? You know, I, I make a, a judgment on the audience when I look at them, what they would like to hear. I know it sounds preposterous, but uh, we, we have 300 songs and we, we jump in and out of them. So, you know, for example, if I'm playing, like the other night we did a bit of the Battle of New Orleans and because it felt appropriate in the place there. It was with a big symphony orchestra, 
And it was just really to challenge the orchestra to find one. And, um, and then I did a Johnny Cash song that didn't have this orchestra on it, you know, just because it felt right for the room. And it was, it was, uh, it was, it was in Utah. It wasn't even a Southern thing, but people like that sense of humor. We did a monkey song and we did a, a jumping Jack flash and we did uh, do what I did. And I'll never dance again. You know, the old Bobby Rydell song, you know, just, I like to, to challenge my um, exceptional ability to judge an audience. Well, but but is there a place for new music though? Is that something that that you have an interest in? That that at some point you say, "Hey, I I, I want to do this. I want to put out some new stuff." That that do the well. I do, do the... I do I do I do put out little bits and pieces. I did a thing. I did a remake of Friday on My Mind, which came out with the Weaklings, and it was uh, you know it gets it got lots and lots of play. I mean, there, I don't think there is a chart anymore, but it got lots and lots of play, and my following were appeased. And last year I did a thing with a red button called Ooh Girl, which was, you know, did did good on radio, you know, like a Sirius XM kind of radio. So not, not your kind of radio, but the other kind of radio and all those places where people listen to music nowadays. Well, hey, I like, I like Sirius XM. In fact, you, you have, uh, you have, have or had a show on Sirius XM? Uh, I keep forgetting now. Yeah, I have a show. Right. The, uh, the something good with Peter Noon, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, talk to me a little bit about that one then. Uh, uh, how is that going? And, and how does it feel sort of be on the other side of the mic and be the one asking the questions and one spinning the records? And how much choice do you have in your playlist? Or is it one of those where the programmer comes to you and say, here, just, just pump this out and uh, hit, you know, hit play. Oh no, no, there isn't a playlist. There aren't that many songs that, that I can play from, from the sixties. So because I have to be able to talk about them. So if I have nothing to say about it, I can't play it. Or, or I can say, you know, this is a song by my mother never told me to, my mother told me never to say anything bad about anybody. So here's, you know, just, just play the record. That's part of my comedy. And, and it, it, it's just a way of me, you know, I was with Davy Jones once and, and you, you, you couldn't say we were friends, but we'd, we'd known each other for a long time. So we could talk, uh, positively and aggressively to each other. And um, I said, you know, what's the matter with you? And he goes, listen, all my stories have me in them. And I thought that was one of the most greatest pearls of wisdom ever. All my stories have me in them. And so what I, did, what I do is I tell stories on my show based on that theory, you know, like I, I tell you a story about meeting Roy Orbison and what a great guy he was. And I tell you about meeting uh, Elvis Presley and how wonderful he was and how cute, amusing he was. And then I play an Elvis Presley record and I talk about meeting the Beatles and a few times, many times I met the Beatles. So if I play a Beatles song, I tell you a story about, you know, backstage at this thing and, uh, and John Lennon said, wait a second, isn't this one of your songs? And I'm standing talking to him instead of on stage, my band are playing. You know, there's all kinds of stories in my life. And you know what? It's been going for three or four years and I haven't run out of stories yet. A lot has happened to me in my life. It's better than writing a book because it's recorded and they're all anecdotal and sometimes quite amusing. You know, my mother's been dead for 12 years, but she's in the show every week. She talks to, she wants to talk to Cousin Brucey. Cousin Brucey. There's a name I haven't heard in a while. That's a that's a name. Well, he's still going. 
Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, uh, you did, of course, do that, that, that Teen Idols tour in 98 with Davy Jones and, and Bobby Sherman. Uh, maybe we'll, uh, we'll do another one of those. But uh, all right. So let me ask you this because we, we, um, we look at all the, the farewell tours that are out there from Elton John to, uh, to Kiss to, to, well, the Who that, that have been doing one since 1982. Um, where are you in terms of, of that? Do, do you, do you have a five year plan or are you more sort of Chuck Berry or, or Bo Diddley? You say, it's gonna go until it's it's not gonna go. I, I'm more like a, a Mick Jagger, arrogantly believing that I can pull it off for at least another ten years. And you know that the, the part of the part that people don't understand is that if you en- if if I would do this as a hobby, which I do, music is my hobby. When I hang the phone up with you, I'm gonna play some music. That's what I do. And when I'm in my car driving to a gig, I listen to music. You know, some people listen to the world news. I don't. I listen to music and enjoy it and smile and sing along and dislike and love and, you know, all those things. And so why would I want to stop doing that? I mean, if I didn't do it for money, I would probably do it anyway. You know, I'd be that guy at the golf club who gets up and does a couple of songs at the end of the evening, you know, for a bar mitzvah or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. That's who I am. Okay, and you and you That's say you you say you listen to music. Uh, you know, I, when I when we're done here, I am actually going to go put on my headphones and listen to Huey Lewis while I make supper for the kids, which is what I do. Okay. Uh, do you go back and listen to the to the stuff that you were listening to as a kid as well, or do you venture oh, yeah. into some of the new music? Well, I'm lucky because I have a radio show where I can play the music that I listened to as a kid and tell you how I heard it and how uh, Bruce Chanel, Hey Baby, changed the world. It did. You know, those kind of things. And, and I do play music all the time. But, you know, some, we, have, we have a sort of odd system in my house where we get up in the morning and today is Rolling Stones Day. And we just put Rolling Stones on all day. And so a couple of days ago, it was ZZ Top. And you don't. When you, when you think of ZZ Top, everybody just thinks of those three hits like Herman's Hermits, Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, and Henry VIII. They've got a massive amount of quality work. that You won't do it unless you play it all. And nowadays, it's not on an LP anymore, remember. There's 200 songs from everybody available. It's kind of magical period for listeners now. We've never had so much opportunity to go and listen to all the outs. You know, oh, so one day we had a Seekers Day. And I don't even even know the Seekers are, but they had all these great country. It was as if Dusty Springfield and Tom Springfield had kept the Springfields together and they'd become the new Se- the Seekers. And they've got all these ma- absolutely magnificent recordings. Really well recorded, really well played. Bruce Woodley on guitar, you know, who wrote those songs with Paul Simon. And you know, it's quite a, quite a fantastic band. So you can, you can remember a single from... I'm trying to explain this. You can sometimes you can remember a single that you didn't buy, but somehow you know all the words and you know when the chorus happens, and you can remember how the guitar solo goes. It's like like reeling in the years by Steely Dan. Everyone, da 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 You know, I never bought the record, but I know it off by heart. I never bought the record because I heard it on the radio, and I heard it so many times on the radio that I know it. I never bought an Eagles record, but I know all those songs. I can go to an Eagles concert and sing along with every one of their songs, even the, the Joe Walsh song. Every one of them I can sing. So, so you know, that's what I do, and I listen to it. And, I, and, I, and it's, it's not really, 
it's kind of a treasure trove now, isn't it? The world of all this music that would have, we had a Nat King Cole day, you know, and, and it was the, Nat, the trio stuff and stuff that you would never hear. We've heard it once before, you know, when we were kids, it was on in the kitchen and my grandmother was listening to the Nat King Cole or something and you heard it, but now you listen to it and you know it, you go, wow, this is a real, all this recorded music is a treasure trove. It's not like a painting that they hung up in some museum that you have to go and, you know, buy a postcard of it so you can have a copy. It's all available to everybody now. And uh, God gave us pretty fair hearing equipment, you know, ears, two ears. Most people, can, yeah. you know, I'm going deaf, but I think I've got another 10 years on this set. Well, you, well let's hope. All right. So, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll start wrapping up here because uh, I, I do want to be respectful of the time, but you did uh have music come out on Casablanca Records and uh, Variety had announced they were making a Casablanca movie in 2019 and then finally the the financing fell through and the movie's not going to come out but what was it like to be on Casablanca Records and and deal with Neil Bogart and deal with that with, with... Casablanca Records was a it, it, what happened was we all got signed the Hudson brothers got signed and they had a TV series I got signed. I knew Neil because he was a promotion man at MGM Records, and we drove maybe fifteen thousand miles a year in a station wagon to find little radio stations. If they had an antenna, we knew they were in business in Paducah, Kentucky, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I knew Neil from long, long, lots of long time, years and years. And he signed me there because I had this good song with I think it was a Tony McCauley song. And we put it out. It was, they were a new company, so it was hard to promote it. I got on great with Neil. I mean, he was my friend from, you know, a previous experience. You know, being in Herman Summits was not like being a solo star. And the whole thing, you know, he was a great, he was a show business person, you know, Neil. He was not really a, he was more of a character than a, and a, and a personality than a label thing. And it, Remember, since then, they've all been like that, haven't they? Like Atlantic. They've mm -hmm. always got some char character at the top of the tree there. Before him, it was Joe Smith and those sort of nice, kind, old Sir Joseph Lockwood types. Right. And, and, and he listen, he did great with Casablanca. And I think one of his first signings was, of course, Kiss. And, and that was that big visual, you know, presentation, yeah. which is what he was. And, and, and Neil was that he was you're right he i don't want to say he was a barnum and bailey because that almost is, sounds insulting but you know what i mean he he was a ringleader he was he was a one-man and, and he and he cared about how people he cared about how he went when you looked at him whether his hair was right and his makeup was right and all that you know those are characters before that it was all businessmen remember i don't know how good he was at business but he was a great character well, the, the well, I, I guess ultimately he wasn't that good at business because Casablanca, I guess, got absorbed or folded. But for for a while, with uh, was it Diana Ross? Di yeah, Diana Ross, right? Uh, no, yeah, yeah, I remember the uh, yeah with, with, with Diana and with Kiss and all these other bands, he he was doing doing pretty darn good. It wasn't Diana Ross; it was somebody else. But I know who you mean. It was another, oh, hold another on, baby. Um, very nice lady. I'm going to look it up real quick. And, of course, you did uh, Meet Me on the Corner. So let's see here. Uh, who did he have? He had Hudson Brothers, Kiss, Parliament, Angel, Gary Perry. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I can't find it. Donna Summer. That's the one I'm thinking Donna, of. Donna, Donna yeah. Summer. Sorry. My my mistake, folks. Um, 
Yeah, so he had all the, and in Parliament, right. you know, Angel, all these bands that had presentation and disco and, you know. Yeah, what you just did then when you were able to, were able to look it up, that was the kind of thing that we'd sit in the van talking all night. No, you know, the woman, you know, she was like, and we'd, we'd have to wait until the next day when someone, I remember it was on a summer, but, you know, now we're able to find all this information quickly. That was good. I would never have come up with Donna Summer. I have trouble remembering people's names. That, that if you say Diana Ross, I'll never get to Donna Summer. So that's another great thing about now is we can all do research on things and find out how old is Mick Jagger and how old is Peter Nude and all that stuff. That's Listen, all good fun, I think. I've been doing interviews since the early 90s and having the internet available to me as I chat with you or anybody is a godsend <laughs> because sometimes you'll say yeah. something, right? You'll say, you'll say something and I'll go, Oh good. I didn't know that. Let me, let me go. And, and by the way, uh, my wife still religiously watches coronation street. So she's, she's a oh, great. big fan of that. But uh, on that, I, I was, in it in, I was in it in 1961 and it's still the number one show in England, even without me in it. Right. And David Jones was in it. I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised they haven't asked you to come back and do a few guest appearances. I mean, why not? Unless they killed you well, they off. Always, they, they always do. They did. And, but they always ask you when you're really busy. Right. Well, hopefully you'll do it again. So they when the monkeys hit, they would ask David to come back. And, uh, and when, when my band hit, the, uh, it, it's just impossible. You know, you can't do stuff like that. We couldn't do. I did one little walk-on thing, and but David never did because there was two. Once, once the monkeys was over, nobody wanted him at all. It was quite bizarre. It, it, it is really bleak period. But well, by the way, Davy, I'd love, I'd love to interview him. But I, but it, it is amazing though that, that Davy is dead. He's not going to be touring. Oh, anymore. what did I just say? I, I meant I would have loved. To have interviewed him. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting a little old. I'm getting older as I as I get along here. But it's just amazing. I was just going to say that it's amazing that if you look at what came out of the '60s and '70s from uh, you and and Paul McCartney and Coronation Street, and and then you know you look at some, and they're still going on. Uh, it, it, all one in a million. You know, one in ten million that you people could you people sorry that that these things can have this lifespan it's 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 remarkable and 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 i don't think any artist or tv show can do that now so it's about it's about good songs remember they used to used to go and see an oldies show and it'd be del shannon and he had three songs that were the top three songs of your life and you'd see dion and he'd have five songs and they would go on and they would do three songs and five songs and you'd see six or seven acts in an evening and every now and then you go and see Sam Cooke, who had enough hits to do the whole show all by himself, or Jerry Lee Lewis, who would do 20 minutes and, and just blow the room apart. And then what happened, you know, Home Summits had a lot of hits. We've got enough show. You know, once Roy Orbison said to me, you know, you're doing good now. You've got enough songs to go on stage for 45 minutes and just do songs that are hits. And I go, well, yeah. He said, there's not many people can do that. The Beatles can do it. The Stones can do it. The Roy Orbison can do it. The Everly Brothers can do it. But none of, them, none of the people who came after you can. They can't. And, and, and I'm just looking at your single releases. From 64 to, to 70, there, there's got to be at least 25 songs, and almost every single one of them was either top 10 or top 40. I mean, nobody does that anymore. You know, from, from Sleepy Joe to Don't... You know. Yeah. 
better than, than being top 40 was they were played a lot on the radio. So you don't have to buy the record to know the songs, which is some part of this new uh, infrastructure. That There are people out there that you know all their songs, even though you never bought them. Because the radio was so magnificent for so long that, you know, you, ha- you had to hear all of Elton John's stuff in, this, in those years because it was everywhere. And all the Eagle stuff because it's everywhere. And probably if you were listening to AM radio in 1965, you could not avoid listening to Herman's Hermits. It was, we, we had billions of plays in every country in the world. Well, and, and that's, by the way, how I discovered all these bands. I mean, you know, for me, Tom Petty, for, for many years, was the band I heard at the mall. You know, it just played at the mall. Yeah. And, and we don't really have that anymore. We, we, we've we've yeah, I remember, lost I was, uh, Yeah. You know, it's, fun, it's interesting you said Tom Petty, because I remember I found Tom Petty because I was in Harrods in London, and I heard American Girl on the on the system in, and it was odd it was in a place called way in which was kind of a, a kind of hip hip new place on the top of the and i went dun, 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 dun. I go, wow what a great drummer <laughs> so i met stan lynch and that's how i found tom petty and you know me and yeah I, I, mike, mike played on some of that tremble stuff yeah stan was stan played on oh that's right he was you know, uh... Uh, let's yeah. see who was there. Uh, I would... We had a lot of people on that record. It was a good fun time because people could just show up, you know. People could just show up and play, and and, and it had been, and we insisted on paying everybody through the union and stuff like that because we, you know, in the early days, like Jimmy Page would show up and and say, "I got an idea for your song," and you'd just throw him on the song, you know, and give him twelve pounds, and that used to be part of the 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 functional the way. It, worked in England that people had all these ideas that they were just willing to share for 12 pounds it was that they just wanted to be on a record they didn't want a million pounds they just wanted to be on a record that that has changed and I can and I can tell you that just from the conversation I had last night there they and I'm not going to mention the band but they were putting together a project and I was talking to some of the principals in the project major players that have played with meatloaf and kiss and all this and they were like, yeah, we got this thing and we got the tracks recorded and we have all the vocals and we're about to release it. And then the band's management said, we don't think we should be involved. And now the song can't come out. And this is like, oh, really? And uh, yeah. it wasn't like that back in the day. I mean, you know, uh, Keith Moon played on Alice yeah. Cooper's records and you had Elton John's backing band on the Tremblers and you had all kinds of stuff. And now it's like, yeah. oh, no, 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 I need my points. I need my percentage. I need my I need yeah. my approval. My social medias have to, and it's just like, oh my god, can't we just go back to making music and and just getting along and you know? Just... I think it's just I think it's just I was I, I think people just wanted a credit in those days. That was all. That was good enough. You yeah. know, I mean, Jim. When you talk to Jimmy Page, he can't remember which Herman Hermits records he plays on. He listens to him. He goes, I don't think that's me. I go, no, it's not you. It's Derek Luckenby. He was a good guitar player too. And then you know, teasingly say he plays it better than you would have played it. That's funny. Do you know yeah. which songs he played on? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I can. I can still. I've got the track sheet. So he's on Wonderful World, and John Paul Jones is on twenty tracks. I mean, more John Paul Jones than he played. John Paul Jones did the string arrangements. No milk today. There's a kind of hush. Dandy. It's nice to get out in the morning. Lots and lots of stuff. Lots and lots of stuff. Oh, the good. Oh, the, yeah, the, the the good old days. 
Maybe you should uh, release yeah, a compilation, for, you know, uh, Pete Noon featuring <laughs> the Led Zeppelin guys. Just a little, little compilation. Okay. I, yeah. I think I think records should be like like a book. You know, you should be able to imagine what the story is about. I don't want somebody telling me what the story, real story of Mrs. Brown is. Let I'll let you work it out yourself. You know, you can use your imagination to what it means. Because I, you know, Donna, Donna, the prima donna. What, what is that about? We don't know. So I'm I'm in, I'm in for it all. I think it's there's plenty, loads of stuff going to be around for a long time, which is good because of the, because of the internet stuff with people. You know, we we get royalty checks from countries that didn't even have a stamp when we were making the records. And by the way, you're right about having that imagination. For me, uh, when the '80s came along and music videos came along. It somehow ruined a little bit of the magic for me because I would listen to a song and I would think about the song and I would imagine the song and it had a personal meaning to me. And then you'd see the video and you'd go, oh, that's what it's about? Oh, I don't like that. And it yeah, well, it, it ruined some songs for me. So it's nice that we're back to this, you know. Yeah, well, you know, there won't be, there won't be music videos anymore because it, it's it's sort of another art form, isn't it? It's just one of those things that's like, it's like MySpace. It's just disappeared. MySpace. You know, no, people people want to see. You know, the good the good thing for live music is more and more people are going out. You know, they say that as you get older, you find more and more excuses not to go out because yeah, they can't park and there's no good food and and you know the people who go to concerts are horrible and all that. But more and more people, more and more old people, maturely old people are going out to concerts. If you go if you go and see Paul McCartney, you've got people seventy five years old down to seven. But it's the top end that you go, and they're, they're the people who've got all the money now. You know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen. You know, uh, and I and I do refer to the hard rock a lot, but but Motley Crue and Def Leppard just announced a stadium tour. I mean, thirty-five uh-huh. years after their career, st- or in, for, in fact, forty years after their career started uh, for Def Leppard, yeah. they're going to be doing a stadium tour. So yeah, people people love the shows, and and. I will just remind folks that uh, you can head over to PeteNoon.com. He's got shows all the way, at, at least listed on the website, until September 18th, 2020. That is that is unbelievable. I, I'm just exhausted looking at your list. I can't imagine what it's like for you to actually play these shows. It's got I can do it. I, I, yeah, we know. But, uh, I'm on holiday today. Yeah, but uh, let's see what you got. Uh, you got Redondo, you got Clearwater. Boy, you're going to be busy. But uh, listen, they they told me 15. We're at 45. So okay, uh, well, it's great talking to you, and I hope I hope you can make a something work with my uh, diatribe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, the concept of the of of my show has always been to run the interviews uh, in their integrity. Uh, we don't do sound bites. We just run the whole thing. So okay, they're, they're going to hear everything and they're going to get all the context. And and uh, you you also tested my, my interview skills today because I thought, oh, 15 minutes, I'm going to prepare two, three questions. We're good to go. We had to make up the rest. I think it turned out pretty okay. good, actually. So, All right. Good one. Thank you, sir. Allons-y. Plaisir. Allons-y. Avec plaisir. Cheers. À bientôt. Bye-bye. Merci. This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.